Hidden in plain sight captures stories of the rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire. As well as the more well-known and recognised names, we also wanted to hear from everyday people. This includes those living, working, raising families and running businesses in the local community. Not everyone who identifies as belonging to the rainbow community is visible. Amanda to Hidden in Plain Sight with Mel and I today. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Very excited to interview you today. So what we do is just go through your life, anything you'd like to share with us, it's completely up to you. What we tend to do is start with the current, how you fill your days, because I know you do a bit of writing and things. Well, filling the days is pretty easy as a lazy old retired person. You had a, a zero birthday recently too, didn't I you? I did, yes. 70. Happy birthday. Yeah, I still think there was a typo on the date of birth. <laughs> How old do you think you are? 70 going on 17. 17 was a good age. Yeah, threatening to grow up one day, but it's highly unlikely. What were you like <laughs> at 17? Incredibly immature thought that I was very grown up, was a little bit grown up in terms of my opposition to the Vietnam War and struggles with whether or not to put my name in the ballot to be called up for the very last call up. Oh really? Yep. Wow. So you went from being opposed? I was always opposed, but my issue with the ballot was that my inclination was to be a conscientious objector to that war. I'm not a pacifist. I objected very strongly to the American war. The situation back in the day was that uh, if you didn't put your name in the ballot, you automatically broke the law and did two years jail instead of two years conscription. And ended up with a criminal record. And ended up with yeah. a criminal record for the re- rest of your life, yeah. as we understood it yeah. back then. So my dad, who was very supportive of me, said, look, just put your name in. If your number comes up, then we'll fight it. My attitude, being 17, um, and by the way, we couldn't vote then. True. Uh-huh. No. True. You couldn't vote, but you could fight. Get yeah. your legs blown off or mm. whatever. Else, no, I up with an agent orange. Correct. Yeah. So his attitude was put your name in the barrel, see what happens, and then we'll fight it. My attitude was no, it's too late after the event to then say, no, I'm now a conscientious objector. I wasn't a week ago, but I am now. I have to take a stand now. At 17. At 17. And his view was once you've broken the law of the land, and have what was then a criminal record, you can kiss your future goodbye. So we had quite heated discussions, but both of us having the best of intention. So it was difficult. I still have the guilts about what turned out to be me taking his advice, because I knew he had my best mm. interests at heart. Yeah. So. Um, At the 11th hour, I put my name down. 
my number didn't come up. Uh, that was the October and I'm pretty sure it was the January that Goff got in and canned the whole lot. So it was, in a sense, it was sort of an anticlimax, but none of us had that crystal ball looking to the future. And the Conservatives had been in power for a thousand years, yeah. so none of us really knew as confident as we might have been mm. that Gough would win. Um, that was the It's Time campaign, which was a stunning campaign and still stands out as probably the best campaign I, I've ever witnessed. Mm. So, uh, how do, I don't know how we got onto that. Uh, it, it's actually interesting. Uh, my question was, who were you at 17? Oh. And you say incredibly immature, and I, I'm actually thinking that that stance and that maturity that it took to foresee the position of what your future would have held under such hideous It was uh, hideous. Circumstances. My, my grandfather was at the Heidelberg Repatriation Hospital suffering the effects of Second World War injuries and illnesses and he was dying at the time. So I was seeing when we went to visit him those guys that did come back from Vietnam badly injured, normally having stepped on a landmine and lost one or two legs, but lots of other injuries that to this day are still manifesting as PTSD and yeah. lots of other things. I guess the most traumatic part of all that for me was being in my final year at school, being called a coward, primarily by the girls. It's that white feather thing, isn't it? It was, was. very much so. Because, you know, there, were, there would have been kids. lots of people with yeah. First and Second World War veterans still alive in, in their, their families. families. And that mentality, as you just said, it was alive. It was diminishing because the thing that astounded me was that the moratorium marches I went on, which we weren't allowed to go on being at school. They said anybody who goes on the march will be suspended. So, of course, I went on the march. <laughs> I would have to. <laughs> and I was never suspended. I had lots of conversations with the principal and told him precisely where I stood on the issue and that if he wanted to escalate it, I'd be very happy to see that happen. What school was that, Amanda? That was the very delightful Wattle Park High School. Wattle Park, so Victorian? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yep. I loved it. It was a great school. I really enjoyed it. Great teachers and I think we might have had five or six hundred kids, maybe, maybe less. Yeah. So it was a lovely size. I think as tiny as I am, I was sort of a big fish in a puddle. <laughs> so that was enjoyable. But I was about to say that at the moratorium marches, the thing that really inspired me were the older women who were on those marches, grandmothers and maybe not, but I would imagine most of them would have been grandmothers and they would undoubtedly have had experience of family members in either the First or Second World Wars or the Korean War or all three. So um, an interesting time. Did you have friends who were of the same thoughts? Or? Not a lot. Uh, a couple. 
Yeah. It was probably fairly evenly divided. Some of the boys couldn't wait to go. There might have been one enlisted, but the rest mm. just took potluck, having no objections to. They varied from being incredibly crass, as you can imagine, I won't elaborate on that, mm. in terms of what they would be doing in Vietnam. And those that were just, they had the view that they were bulletproof. They'd have a two year holiday, they'd go overseas, come back and get on with life. With no concept that not all of you might come back. At that age, I don't think anyone that I knew, including myself, had any concept of what that entailed. So it still resonates with me to this day, as you can probably tell. So that massive issue, where did you end up going as a 17-year-old? You finished your high schooling. And (sighs) what then led you into the next stage of your life? I was not a good student. So having studied math science, and back in the day, you got streamed. So, and in a small school, we couldn't mix and match subjects. I always had an interest in the arts, but I had to do pure maths, applied maths, chemistry, physics, and English. I did enjoy those subjects, but I did not apply myself. I was very good at sport, and um, I applied myself to that. What sport? Um, mainly running. But I basically tried... You were little and fast, weren't you? (laughs) I tried everything. You know, I loved the idea of playing footy, but... I'm so glad you didn't. I had no hope of ever making the team. I had to wait till I got to uni to do that. Doctors out there. Amanda, you are how tall? Oh, let's say five, four, if I... And you weigh about... Fifty-five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you weren't on the footy field in any capacity whatsoever. I was much bigger and stronger than uh, that. I bet you were. I weighed, I weighed a little bit more, but um, I wasn't any taller. No. <laughs> oh. And so then? So I ended up having a year labouring on what is now the Eastern Freeway. Um, you can thank me for building being partly responsible for building the Hoddle Street Bridge. Yeah, wow. And the first bridge over the Yarra at Studley Park. So that was a lot of fun, Mm. stunning money, hard work on a jackhammer. The Hoddle Street Bridge is on one side is built next to a major board of works sewerage outlet drain Mm. big enough to drive a truck through. So they couldn't blast through the bluestone, they had to do it by hand. That was good money, but as soon as we got, I think it was 15 feet down, we became miners and our pay rate, union was very good back then, very happy to support the union movement. And so each six feet further down we went, our rate went up. So I was banking every week about five times what my friends were earning working at Maya. That was after tax, after my board, after everything, after my six pots of beer at Uh, lunchtime. (laughs) At lunchtime. (laughs) Every day. There were six six of us in the gang. We got 30 minutes for lunch and we had just enough time for six pots each. So I went back to work on the jackhammer with a smile on my face. 
God, how did you hold on? <laughs> well, after six beers. <laughs> Had good bladders back then. Oh, my yes. goodness. <laughs> so you're about how old then? Oh, I was 18 and 19. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Still a young kid. Um, I thought I was incredibly grown up. <laughs> I, was, I was a working man. I, I went to the pub with the guys. Yeah. They were good guys. I um, I really enjoyed that, um, and I think I can safely say working class mm-hmm. um, mentality and the demeanour of the guys, their sense of humour. You know, I think because the work was so hard, we didn't have time to sort of get into like office spats or baggage. Any, there was no baggage. Yeah. You just had a hole to dig. Yeah, and a beer to drink. <laughs> and a beer to drink. Yeah. And another six feet to go down. <laughs> yeah. I think they all ended up 30 feet deep. And then yeah. they would pile drive a steel cylinder down, yeah. um, reinforce that and fill it with concrete. And, um, and then up it would go to the roadway. So um, I was fascinated. I'm fascinated. I love yeah. talking to the engineers because they were mostly new grads and I still had my eyes and heart set on uni, but I wasn't in any position to think about that at the time. I was just saving money so that if and when it ever happened, I would have a, a bank to behind me to get me through. What studies were you thinking of following if that uh, became the journey? Well, there we have it. Ever since primary school, I had a passion to be a doctor and um, I still have vivid recollection and I must write the story of peddling down to the doctor's surgery after school one day to inform him that having thought about it long and hard, I think we should have a chat about cancer. (laughs) because the lymphatic system obviously touches all these parts of the body that cancer is breaking out in. And there needed to be some research done on getting to the bottom of this issue. He was so patient and how he didn't just crack up laughing and send me on my way. How old were you then? Oh, that would have been grade five. <laughs> That's remarkable that so, you knew about the lymphatic system, number one, but that your thoughts were to connect the two. And I can't imagine he would have had to have had much patience. <laughs> oh, look, part of it might have come from those books that the library sometimes bought by mistake or deliberately, where there might have been a drawing or a photo of a new nude lady. And um, I thought they were lovely. But they also showed you what went on inside. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I was fascinated and loved it. Absolutely loved it. So that was always bubbling away in the back of my mind. I think coming from a working class background, I was actually too shy. No, I wasn't shy. I was too self-conscious to admit to anyone that that's what I wanted to be. So once again, that's another thing that sort of haunts me a little bit. If I'd been a little more honest about it, I know for a fact my dad would have pulled out all stops to 
get me up to speed to make it happen. But you know, it's families back in the day, there wasn't a lot of communication. Yeah. You know, the fathers worked hard on the whole and the mum stayed home and yeah. did a wonderful job. Yeah. And that was sort of it. And which was great. You know, I've got no complaint about that. But I know for a fact I both Jan, my ex wife and myself, well, had a very different role with our kids in terms of encouraging whatever it was they wanted to do. Mm. They didn't have to do anything. Mm. Whatever they had a passion for, we were behind them, mm. helping them every step of the way to get whatever that thing is, ATAR or something. Whatever it was, they had to get a number. Yeah. To, and we just did whatever we could mm. to help without being on their backs, but just wanted them to do yeah. something that they were happy to be doing. Um, I'm very good at distracting myself, as you can see. No, I was, I'm going to bring you back to when your family started and where did you meet your wife, your ex-wife? Um, at uni, at uni. So, so you I, went to uni. I did. So we'll go back one yes. tiny step. Labouring got to oh, three quarters of the way through the year. Had an accident on that Studley Park Bridge. An extension ladder was touched by the crane, which broke the coupling and it ran down the ladder which I was holding and um, crushed my right hand. Oh. Um, so I hope the listeners could see our faces right now. <laughs> yeah. Didn't feel a thing, guys. Don't worry about it. So they pulled the ladder apart and. Um, started to take my glove off, which was full of blood, and I said, maybe we'll just leave that on, mm. and top, took me into St Vincent's, and the surgeon, no, you go to CAS, don't you? Yeah. And the guy there said, um, oh, look, it's not as bad as it looks. You've broken a few bones. You've, um, we'll have to take that index finger off that's only hanging on by a thread, but it'll be right as rain in probably two, three weeks tops and you'll be back at work. Oh, of course you will. And I said to him, um, maybe we won't do that. Thinking of doing medicine next year, might need that finger for surgery. How about we get the microsurgeons in to see if they can put it back together? Good on you. He just looked at me and said, but aren't you a labourer? And I said, don't worry about what I am. It's what I'm planning to do that matters. Good on you. Yeah. Um, took me upstairs microsurgeon came in, looked at it and said, you could do me a big favour. If you go to the sink and wash it as best you can, that will help enormously because I'm not good at that stuff. And um, I'll then sit down and focus on putting this back together. (laughs) He just didn't like the idea of fiddling around getting the dirt out. So you cleaned it? He got a nurse in afterwards and she just made sure that there wasn't anything left there. And he said, let's put this back together. And he sat there for about four hours. And sewed you back together. I have a finger. Yeah, at work. The joint doesn't work, but who who cares? It's not um, quite the same, but there it is. (laughs) So you never got to medicine? No, I got in, I had that accident thought yeah. I'd better actually do some serious study. Went home for three months, enrolled at RMIT in two subjects to um, get some help and went and sat at the exhibition buildings for my HSC back then. 
and got through. Then applied for a science degree. Well, I did apply for medicine, but didn't get in. I didn't do that well. Got into science at La Trobe and Taz Uni. And I thought, I reckon Taz Uni might be nice. There's a little bit of water between me and home and I'll have an adventure. So I went down there. We'll come back now to Jan. Yeah. Met Jan the week I arrived at uni. And Jan so was studying? The exact same eclectic mix of subjects uh, that I was. Yep. So it was a whole mix of science, psychology, philosophy, all sorts of weird and wonderful things, which was a massive adventure for me and I loved every second of it. Once again, wasn't a brilliant student, but yeah, managed to get, such to get through somehow. Had a lot more focus on a certain lady, Jan, than um, <laughs> getting assignments in on time or whatever else was meant to be yeah. done. But I did learn some stuff and loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Pursued my another passion, which was environmental science and nature study and zoology mm. and bushwalking and all that stuff. Mm. So that that was Hobart and stayed there for 15 years. So oh. you started your family there? Yes, Ben, we left when Ben was one. So um, Jan left after first year and went to Perth with a view to getting into physio, which she eventually did. It took her a couple of years to get in um, and she finished her physio studies over there. Um, I kept chasing and eventually she called me after seven years. Beautiful. So did she come back to Tassie or she did, did you go to no, Perth? No, she did. I went to Perth for a couple of holidays. I did go to Perth and it's a story I've written and shared at Words in Winter about um, heading off to Perth for an intervarsity athletics trip and then deciding, uh, Jan's in Western Australia, I'm in Western Australia. I'll let the team go back and I'll visit Jan. She happened to be 3,000 kilometres away in Kununurra. <laughs> oh, no. So I thought, Oops. well, I'll just hitchhike up the road. Oh. How long could that possibly take? A couple of days? Kilometers. Took nine days. Yeah. What was the hitchhiking journey like? Holy hell. It had its moments. Yeah. I got out of two cars, made an excuse that I'd left something behind. Mm. I just went with my gut feeling on both occasions. Didn't yeah. feel right, made an excuse, already had the door half open and said, thanks for the lift, catch you another time maybe, yeah. and just got out. Um, arrived in Kununurra, Jan was working at the pharmacy. So she's still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know I was coming yeah. up. She had no idea I was yeah. going up to see her. And how did she go when you landed? Um, her look was far more shock and awe than hugs and kisses. I said, hello, I've been meaning to tell you, I love you, and then I left. Oh, God. <laughs> and then what? Uh, about eight days to get back to Melbourne and then... <laughs> Choking back? And then Choking a fly. back. Yeah. So up the west coast and back through the centre. <laughs> well, I know the outcome of that story. So Jan came round. She did. Um, Took about 18 months. We had no contact whatsoever. 
I was in hospital with a broken leg and I just decided to write her a letter. The very next day, I got a letter from Jan. They'd crossed in the mail. Yeah. They were dated with the same postmark and they were written on identically embossed writing paper. What did Jan's letter say? <laughs> well, she said that she tried and tried and tried to forget about me and in the end she just couldn't. She had to make contact, and, which is exactly what I said. Mind you, in that 18 months, I drank way too much beer. Yeah. Which she didn't do. <laughs> well, she was a physiotherapist. Was she well, she got in, she'd got into yeah. physio, so she was working her bottom off, studying very hard and, um, and doing very well. She was the brains in our partnership. <laughs> very dedicated and a wonderful physio. Built a beautiful couple of practices. And she only retired last year. Or the year before, so um, yeah. So the letters crossed paths. They crossed paths about six months later. She decided to take six months off from her studies, came back to Hobart, and we decided to think about how we'd get on and how that would work out, which was stunningly beautiful, and decided to get married the following January which turned out to be exactly seven years after we'd met in first year uni. And then Ben came along seven years after that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was lovely. We didn't plan either of our children. Mm -hmm. We've got one of each, which is great. And when Jan's asked, how many children have you got? She says three, one of each. <laughs> yeah. How does she include you? <laughs> I think by that stage, Miss Amanda was starting to um, come onto the scene Impress. and um, as lovely and supportive and try as she might, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> that was a tough road to hoe for Jan. Yeah. And so we could joke about things between ourselves and other people and um, you know, I still find the three children, one of each, pretty amusing myself. Well, it's beautiful, <laughs> and it's, it's so open and fluid. Well, it is, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so when did you find Amanda? Oh, God, way back in primary school. Yeah. yeah. And how did, how, did, how did you start to address your family with that? I mean, we're talking what year here? Uh, well, I was born in 52, so I would have uh, well and truly understood there was something going on in me, late 50s. But if you think back to that time in history, even mentioning that to someone... There wasn't even a language for it. There yeah. was no language, and the only thing that the Australian lingo had to go by was that, well, you just, you must be a, an effing pufter mm -hmm. um, and enjoy getting the shit beaten out of you. Yeah. And that's how, particularly in high school, that's yeah. how guys spoke. Oh, yeah. 
Would you would you suggest that because you had the safety of Jan and a really beautiful family that it became possible to be a little more you? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Um, I had absolutely everything. I still have that wonderful family and I'm lucky enough to have Jan as um, a wonderful friend. Yeah. That was a massive safety blanket. Yeah. Alongside that, the being Amanda was starting to manifest in terms of dressing in private, which I never really enjoyed because I just felt it was so in the closet that it was completely and utterly unsatisfying. And so I would do that once in a blue moon and then get really annoyed with myself and then go running for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres. Bit of self-flagellation perhaps. Um, But it got to the point that I said to Jan one day, look, I actually need to go somewhere. I went to a beauty salon that advertised doing makeup and whatnot. And I need to go out somewhere. As Amanda. As Amanda. Yeah. Which was sort of weird and scary and... I just want to ask what year, what year, like are we in the Um, 80s? Are we in the 90s? Late 80s, 90s. Yeah, which was a which was a really big uh, decade yeah. for yeah. LGBTQI plus people because it was absolutely pummeled with the HIV. It was, wasn't nastiness. it? Nastiness. Yeah. So I can imagine that that's then an underlying thing. All yeah. you wanted to be was yourself. Yeah. Now, back then, I didn't actually know any... LGBTIXYZ people at all. Yeah. The acronym's got too big. They, and they have. And we, that's we why we use rainbow. rainbow. Because we're not inclu- excluding anyone. We and we're not. all under a rainbow umbrella. And I actually And the flags that, keep changing. I feel that we're really special. Yeah. I'd happily... We'll no doubt later get to labels and acronyms mm. and things. And I'll give you my take on that. So let's say early 90s. My thought then was the salon I went to was in Hawkesburn, so I could go down the road to Commercial Road and Mm. all I wanted to do was go window shopping and sitting in a cafe, as I do to this day, reading my book, basically being ignored by everyone. Mm. Now, I probably wasn't... Hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. That is my perfect, that was the perfect scenario for me. I probably wasn't all that okay with being out and about in public. It's hard. um, And learning how to do makeup and clothes. Correct. And you've got the judgment of the genders. Yeah, and even if there was no judgment, thinking there was, mm. being incredibly self-conscious. Yeah, absolutely. Big I eventually found Brunswick Street, which to this day I still adore, and my favourite 
one of my very favourite cafes in on the planet, Alimentari, which is now has a sister brother cafe in Smith Street, oh. which is magnificent. They're both beautiful. Yeah. And the people running them and they're just the nicest people on the planet. Mm. So I I was in corporate life back then, but I would have time to myself on occasions and most of the time go out during the day because I had kids to do things with at night. So Jan and I were busy, she was working, I was working, kids were at school and I loved doing the family stuff at home. You know, it was, I really just got such a buzz out of that. Mm. Annabelle was a good runner so I was able to run with her. Ben got into rowing and soccer and he was having fun doing those things. You certainly passed on your athletic stuff. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Certainly with Belle, because we've got identical physiques. Yeah. She is taller than me. It's not hard. And Ben's, six, had a Ben's six foot one. So I'm responsible for that height, by the way. Oh, yes, of course. I yes, have the yes. most massive genes on the planet. <laughs> Phenomenal. Who so would have thought? The heels. <laughs> no, no. So I would go out during the day to mainly Elementary and then you know, shopping in Brunswick Street. And the shops there were pretty cool, as you can imagine. Yeah. So I could go and shop either in my suit and tie or frocked up and get whatever I wanted. And I don't recall ever having anyone say a word. I love that. Or look I sideways. Love that. I love that part of your story. So the girls who ran the deli, Elementari, said to me one day, um, Love you coming in here. It's great. Get a kick out of seeing you every time you come in. Have you ever thought of adopting maybe a female name? Because oh, I'd be sitting there frocked up, yeah. and they'd say, "Do you want another coffee, Mark?" I'd say, "That'd be great, mate. Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, "Oh, well, there's a thought. Planning ahead has never been one of my fortunes." <laughs> so but that's uh, the beauty of being in a moment. Well, it was great because I said, well, it's a bit Simpsons, Simpson-esque. Mm-hmm. How does Amanda sound? And they went, um, what do you mean? I said, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that because I love that because I know that about you. You and I have shared this story and it's so it's so real. Well, I couldn't it's, take it seriously. It's so, but it, that's the beauty of comedy in life. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just tacked on the marks, as in Carl. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is that's how Amanda became. That's it. Yep. Simple as that, and it just stuck like glue. The well, girls were wrapped. Want to make. People want to do that, but good people. Yeah, they, they said, look, that's great because you're seamless now. Yeah. We can say hi, Amanda, and no one is going to blink. And they wanted that protection for yeah, they you. Were. They were. You very, have allies. They were very protective. Yeah. Incredibly protective. In fact, I've had a lot of those allies, um, which has been wonderful. And then I think from there... I sort of started to morph into somehow meeting, I think initially, some gay guys 
Once again, Brunswick Street. There was um, a, Lots of gay guys. a bar with no name. That became a great place to go. And from there, pretty well met almost everyone I know in the Rainbow community. I've loved all of those people to bits. Mm. Certainly leaned very heavily to the lesbian end of the spectrum and just got on so well with those girls yep. and they are best friends to this day. Just love them to bits. Been to one wedding, one of those girls, which was the nicest wedding I have ever attended. It was just stunning. And I think from there, because I was surrounded with these beautiful people, with a, a community, I just felt so comfortable and so at home. Jan and I talked about it and she decided that I should think about having some, we should have some time apart. Yeah. At the same time, my mum got sick, so I went and looked after her. As Amanda or was No, it was as Mark. Mark. Mum knew about Amanda by then because that was part of the reason I was there, um, apart from the fact that she was getting more and more unwell. So we had lots of talks about that and she got quite concerned for a long time until I said to her one day, I think you should come with me and meet my psychiatrist. Because part of that journey during that time was that I wanted to find out what was going on. Yeah. Went to a couple of psychologists um, and without wanting to poo-poo, the brilliant psychologists, um, psychologists that I'm sure each and every one of us know, the three people I saw were absolute screaming disasters. Yeah. Yeah. Had not one clue what I was talking about. Happy to take my money. Mm. Yeah, that's... So I eventually found a psychiatrist who was just the most beautiful man who heads up now the Monash Gender Dysphoria uh -huh. Clinic. Um, and Yako is just to die for. Um, went through the very detailed process that they put you through over, I think it was four two-hour sessions every fortnight until he then comes back about a fortnight later with this amazingly detailed analysis of what you're there for. And um, no surprises to me was that I pretty much ended right down the middle of the line, yeah. completely and utterly androgynous, and yeah. he said, which way do you want to jump? Because... Do you have to jump? No, not at all. But I was keen to sort of feel a bit more comfortable in my skin yeah. and um, had discussed that with Yako. Could have done nothing at all and yeah. just stayed, but to me it was unsettling. I still had quite a bit of that male macho, no, no, I've never been macho, but feistiness mm. every now and then, probably a little bit too much testosterone floating around, could be quite volatile on occasions. Wow, so, yeah. can, so can a lot of women. And, Correct. And Correct. I, I, I really want to just make this moment to go, but it's okay to have both. Yeah. And to yeah. do that as well. And yeah. This is the label stuff that we're talking about yes. and the need to yeah. be one or the other when yeah. in actual fact it's actually okay. Yeah. 
to just be you. Yeah, true, true. I did like the idea of being a little bit softer, mm. which I felt was in my nature. Yeah. Corporate life had sort of, and athletic life mm. had probably hardened me a little bit to occasionally want to win at any price. So, yeah, that's a great idea, guys, but we're doing it my way and where there's no more discussion will be entered into. I wasn't happy with that. That might have worked on occasion, but not every time. So I asked the question, what's going to happen if I go under female hormones? Mm -hmm. And um, beyond the androgyny, no label had been put on, on me. Yako certainly didn't put a label on me and I hadn't put a label on myself. I actually had and still have an antithesis to labels full stop. I'm just me. Rosie and I discussed this and yeah. we're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I find it too constricting and completely and utterly unnecessary. A bit cruel. For, for me. It can work for some people and for some groups and a little bit like the N-word for African-Americans, mm. I think the queer community has taken queer and done the same thing and with that that the N-word has done for African-Americans. Okay, that's to, perspective, yeah. It, it's a, yeah. It may be a... It's an ownership. It is, um, it is, and, and I'm quite happy with that, yeah. I find that, and I did say at one stage, queer I find quite appealing if I needed to use something. I've since adopted gender fluid, which gives me the freedom a la Courtney Act. I said it before she did. <laughs> <laughs> but I love both Courtney and Shane yeah. to bits, I think massive um, yeah. plus to to the entire community yeah. be it queer rainbow hetero you name it courtney act is a godsend a wonderful human being. wonderful human yeah so for me gender fluid works a treat mm. i answer equally to he she and some of our friends as you're well aware yeah. are happy to call me mark yeah. With my blessing, they've yeah. been polite enough to ask, and it suits them to do that, and suits me. Um, my old uni friends, Mark works for them. The guys I used to go mountain climbing with struggled a bit with Amanda <laughs> because we still talk about bushwalking and mountain climbing. Yeah. So I don't give that a second blink, no matter how I'm dressed. And having been frocked up with a bunch of mountaineers, who I hadn't seen in Tasmania for <laughs> 10 years, was an interesting experience. But that's the beauty of you, because you actually make the passage easy for other people. Not one of them not, blinked. That's exactly right. To not then not fear their space yep. in your company, yep. because you make it okay. Well, it makes my life easy. And, you know, in how, however long it's been now, so it's probably 25 years. I can honestly say I've never had an untoward incident happen in public. I'm so happy to hear that. So I'm spoiled and lucky. Yeah. 
probably being small helps. Uh, even without makeup or anything being that androgynous. Is he, yeah. is she, what are we looking at here? Doesn't make one dot a difference to me. Out in public with people who don't know me, I can equally be referred to as he or she by a shopkeeper or a bartender or whoever it is. More likely than not, it's she, no matter how I'm dressed or how bedraggled I might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is nice. And it just doesn't faze me in the least. The few occasions where there might have been something untoward or uh, someone being maybe unintentionally rude or uncomfortable. Nothing direct I have confronted, as you know, in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Just to both clear the air and also... And I have supported. <laughs> yes, and will continue to do so. <laughs> but they, each of those occasions have worked out brilliantly yeah. because those people have come around and we've both apologised to each other, them for their discomfort or whatever it yeah. might have been, me for being perhaps a little too direct and for not doing it in private. But, you know, if the red mist comes down, it's, there's no off switch. Mm. But become very good friends with those people. Really yeah. genuinely good friends. Small town yeah. stuff. Good yeah. friends. Yeah. And I know for a fact that each one of those people have got my back. So if that sort of thing ever happened again, they would be there yeah. supporting me. It's so beautiful to hear. I it's good, that. isn't it? It's There's beautiful. no doubt things go on behind my back from people I've not spoken to. But, you're not privy but to I don't that. know anything about yeah. that. I only hear those things secondhand. Mm, yeah. So I don't know who they are. I don't care. Yeah. It's irrelevant. It's a very strong stance to take. I know it doesn't mean I don't have to hunt it down. I don't. But it's mm. strong and it's beautiful. And for some young ones that might be listening to your story, in time, in decades, what a beautiful thing to be able to say. It's behind me, I don't care, I don't hear it. No. And the ability to be able to look forward and move forward is so important. It certainly is for me. You know, I'm obviously much older now. 70. And... <laughs> <laughs> we started with that. Yes, that's what we did. Yeah. I'm sure there's a typo on that. <laughs> just doesn't make sense. But, you know, I've got a limited timeline, so I've got to be 100% optimistic about whatever time I've got. Every day at this age and stage of life is a bonus, and I intend to have a good time yeah. and have adventures. So as you're aware, I'm off to Japan this year. I know you love Japan. So it's a gorgeous destination. Yeah. How does Japan respond to you? I went three years ago with a friend, with um, Lissy, which was wonderful because um, I think to some extent she was my minder over there. Mm -hmm. Could handle herself anywhere and everywhere. And um, I was able to frock up occasionally, which was good fun. Never had any incidents. 
the odd Japanese man probably wanted to chat me up, but... Um, <laughs> He's only human. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have the vocabulary in Japanese to explain that I was very keen on the Maria condos of this world and did he know any? <laughs> but uh, no, we had a lovely time there and uh, I later read about the um, Shikoku walk. It's only a stroll really, it's 12 to 1400 kilometres. So. You've done 3000 k's. <laughs> run for miles, run yeah. for miles. <laughs> oh, look, I think it'll be a fabulous adventure and um, yeah, we'll see what happens. So yeah. that might be another story. I would love to just bring you back just a little bit to the Hepburn Shire and how mm. you became such a beautiful member of the community that we're a part of. Oh, that's a good thought. I do yes. know that Escape to the Country brought you over here at one point. So is that, a fair, is that a fair statement to say? I think it is. Yeah. Back in the day when I met those beautiful girls, the girls I met were going to chill out and I'd never been. So they suggested I come up for the day. Just, we'll have a day trip, see what you think, which I did. And I had one of the best days <laughs> of my entire life. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And then every year after that, five, six, seven of us would get a house yeah. and spend the entire chill out having just the most wonderful time. Yeah. I think the thing that appealed to me most was the interaction between the homegrown Dalesford community, you know, been there forever, the rainbow community, absolutely everyone coming together seamlessly. I just could not wipe the smile off my face for five days. Yeah. And I usually stayed an extra day on my own just to catch my breath and just be thankful that life was that good. So probably did that for five years or more, ten years. And one of the girls I'd met in Dalesford said, there's this program coming up, Escape from the city. Are you interested? And I said, oh, probably not. Not my thing. <laughs> so she said, oh, look, just in case, here's the number, give them a call and see what you think. So I said, yeah, okay. Ring up, gave them a call. They chatted away and I thought, do I want to go on television? I think mum was still alive. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. She was. And I was very self-conscious, mainly about her. No one else I was too worried about. The kids, to a certain extent, I could chat to them. Jan was fine with it. So, but as it turned out, I said, no, can't do it. And they said, oh, sorry to hear that. So time ticked by, six months went by, and I got another call from them. We'd really love you to do it. In the meantime, Mum had died and we were in the process of selling the Melbourne house, my brother and sister and I. I I'd got to know Lizzie, we were good friends. And I initially said to Jan, would you be interested in doing this? Mm. And she was, but she just sort of formed or was looking at forming a new relationship. And she said, no, I don't think I can. Um, it's 
I don't want to complicate yeah. matters. And I said, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Not a problem. Beautiful relationship you two have. Oh, she's a sweetheart. Yeah. She's a she's a genuine grown up. She's yeah. a really <laughs> yeah. She's, she's got three kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> correct. Yeah, so she's the real deal. That one. So I somehow or other mentioned it to Alyssa. She was, jumped at she, the chance. Well, she sort of hesitated, undenied, and and then she jumped at the chance. Yeah. Because she is such a natural. Yeah. The film crew just said, why aren't you on television? Like every day. Um, I, hello, I'm over here, <laughs> hello. <laughs> but anyway, so she said yes. Yeah. Um, and so we did that as two friends, which the show has done on other occasions. And at that stage, the, the program was set on Dalesford. By the time we got around to filming, I had already taken the house at Newbury. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and I yeah. said, guys, I've already taken something. Oh, don't worry about that. I said, well, do you want to sort of finish it with me being there? And they said, oh, I'm not sure we can do that. Yeah. So they had it all pre ordained It was TV. It was all yeah. Yeah. It's, it's TV. It's TV. Yeah. So Lissy and, and I decided we're just going to have a good time. Mm. And the crew said it was a lot of fun because we were clearly just there to play the game and have fun and could say silly things that we'd got, got away with. I would love the outtakes because the stuff we didn't get away with was hysterical. <laughs> so um, that was a great show, really enjoyed doing that. And I, oh God, it's going to haunt me till the day I die because it's on repeat. Every... I know, my mother still calls me and says, Amanda's on TV. <laughs> yes, ma'am, it's the show she did. Has she done it again? Yeah. No, no. I actually remember when we moved here and sitting in this cafe and seeing you walk in, I know that person. I know her. And it took me weeks, months to work out. Yeah. So you'd already moved to Newbury and you'd yep. become a pretty big part of Trentham. Well, I did not know one person. Yeah. When I moved here five years ago next month. Now, do you know what you well, you know what did it of course. Because the day I arrived, where did I go? Chaplains. <laughs> and who did I meet in Chaplains? Just everyone. Like I mean everyone. There was a beautiful community in oh, Chaplains five years ago. Look, back in yeah. the day. Gerard, Peter, yeah. Mario. Mario. Yeah. Mario was hysterical yeah. because I'd walk in and he'd make some... Hello, darling. Yeah, <laughs> some comment. Somewhere on that spectrum of comments that... Uh, Mario is a truck make. driver. <laughs> Let's just set that scene. Who refused to be put in a category of someone that didn't accept yeah. everyone. Correct. The video. And we had best spas ever. Yeah. He'd say something and I'd parry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was just great. And absolutely everyone I met, oh God, I still know them. Yeah. Those who are still with us. Um, I am very sad that from a tiny community, in the short time I've been here, I have been to way too many funerals. That's what happens. And I think Nurgis, my oh. partner, always says to me, you, you go to so many funerals. And it's not that I know so many. No. It's that 
we're a small community and we know people at a greater level. Yes. We're not just yeah. crossing paths with them on the main street of no. as random. We know people. And, yeah, that, so you don't, you don't people, just, they don't understand that. No, you don't no. just say hello, as I would in Melbourne, when I pass someone I happen to know. Yeah. We have a conversation. It takes me three hours to get <laughs> my milk every day of the week. <laughs> yeah. And it's wonderful. Absolutely adore it. It's such a gorgeous community. And as I said earlier, those few people who may not be part of that gorgeous community, I don't know and therefore don't care about. Our paths have not crossed. But there are so many people in this town and in this district. That genuinely show interest. Correct. Correct. And it extends to all the little hamlets surrounding us. So, you know, each one of them are unique, they're all different, and that interconnection, 10 minutes down the road, 20 minutes away, that's wonderful. Now, the, God, 35 years I spent in Melbourne after coming back from Hobart, I never had that. You know, I knew people work-wise, school, kids' schools, other things, but somewhat transient it was there was none of the depth that we've got here you know i sat at the sketch club here on tuesday conversations plumb those depths from a standing start from a late 20 year old i think was the youngest member through to a 91 year old there we go there you go isn't that fantastic it's Mm. remarkable And to this day, that still blows me away. I will never, ever tire of the relationships that have evolved here. And the new ones that will be around the corner. Yeah. There was a story that years ago, Daresford was always connected to the place for women, Mm. Indigenous-wise. Oh, right. And Trentham was the place for community. It's the, the ley lines. The ley lines. That come through. through Trentham. And apparently they, they go right through here and land in the town square. I can only quote that from Rose Wilson, who has done the Indigenous history, because mm. in order for her to paint Indigenous people, she has to know it. But mm. community is what you're talking about. It is. I think I was very lucky early on when I was asked to participate in the trumpet. I just adored doing that. That was great. Hard work, though, It was hard work. The girls did a fantastic job and had done it for a very long time. Mm. I came on board and a little bit of that, that's lovely, guys, uh, but we're now going to do it my way. Came to the fore, rightly or wrongly, and um, those gorgeous girls sort of bowed out, which is fair enough. I, I... had a vision for where I wanted to see that newsletter go. And I think we we got some of the way there. COVID, as with everything else, comes up in every podcast. Through a spanner in the works. I still love doing it, but um, doing it on my own, um, I struggled. And it just got hard. Yeah. You know, finding things to talk about. Because yeah. every, everything got sort of dampened down. Yeah. And I got, a, I think I just got 
I don't know, tired or something. And COVID um, did that to a lot of people. Yeah, I was disappointed in myself for dropping the ball there. But fortunately, Chris and Penny came along at the perfect time and just grabbed that ball Skips and out. have run with yeah. it ever since and done a, a superb job. Yeah. So um, that, that's nice. But anyway, that certainly introduced me to a lot more people than I mm, would have otherwise yeah. met. And it let some of that creativity that I do like um, indulging in out to a certain extent. That's our next point. What we've left out is Amanda's creative streak. So Amanda is a genius storyteller and a genius awkward storyteller <laughs> that can uh, poetry make the audience, it's a pin drop moment, but it's also an incredible feeling. And Amanda has something that she may like to contribute. It's very short. Uh, for a change. Most of mine go for pages. <laughs> she recites the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> so this one's my shortest poem of late. Okay. It's called Tink, which I think I did hear for did. Words in Winter yeah. last year. I, yeah, yeah, I watched it last year. Yes. J.M. Barry's fairy stole my heart. Or was it Keats? La Dame Bells on the sea? We met there in the somewheres of our time, full, beautiful. A fairy's child who looked at me as was her wont and made sweet moan as Psyche would to let warm love come in. That night long gone but not forgot where she did weep and sighed full sore and whose wild, wild eyes I softly shut with kisses sweet and sure. So easy to love, how could I not? So hard to leave, no way to stay. My new best friend, my heartbreakingly beautiful goodbye girl. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. No, let's not. Too many cheers, too many tears, all for naught once more my cries. My carnal lust, my foolish bad my search for Camelot. Very good. Thank you Thank so you. much for sharing, Amanda. Oh my God, I, I have been absolutely on every word and I know part of your story, but so much <laughs> joins together now. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank so you guys. Much. That was fun. Thank you. Much appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> we really appreciate it. So thank much. Okay, I'll see you at coffee o'clock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Chaplin's coffee. Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you by us, Rosie Hill and Mel Thomas. It is produced in the Hepburn Shire, Jajawarong country, soon to be the land of the big rainbow. We thank you, our listeners, for listening. We would especially like to thank our guests who have agreed to be interviewed. It isn't something we take for granted and we deeply appreciate their trust in us and bringing their story to you. We hope our conversations have inspired you, but if it has also raised uncomfortable feelings or recalled difficult events in your own life, please reach out for support. Some ways available for help are Gay and Lesbian Switchboard, Rainbow Door, 
1-800-729-367. Also, SMS and email support are available. Lifeline 131114 and Beyond Blue 1300 224 636.